Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Chances are some of you actually have kids who are following Jesus. Some of you have kids and grandkids that are following the Lord and sticking to His Word and is seeking to follow Him. But sometimes some of the practices and philosophies and even beliefs of some of your kids and probably your grandkids are off base and you kind of scratch your head. So I'm going to give you a little goal this morning. This is my goal this morning. It may seem kind of a weird thing to talk about, but here's the question I want to ask. How to have a conversation with your evangelical children or grandchildren? How to have a conversation with your evangelical children or grandchildren? And I don't mean a conversation about weather or sports, uh, but a conversation around the Bible and what it means to follow Jesus. And for those of you who don't have kids or grandkids, how to have a conversation with those who are younger than you who, who know the Lord. And basically, I could take this sermon as far as to say how to have a conversation with someone in this church who may disagree with you, who on the surface of things may look like they're going in a different direction, and yet they tell you they follow the Lord, and you may be missing one another. How do you interact with them? But particularly, I want to focus on what it looks like to minister to the next generation. Because you may be thinking to yourself, for those of you who have grandkids, have you ever gone to church with your grandkids? probably quite an experience, right? Maybe the music is totally blowing you away. They dress different, and they have more tattoos than you. <laughs> At least some of you. It's really different, and you think, and you, you go, are they really following the Lord? What is going on? It's, they're not doing things the way we do things. And this is really important to me, and the white reason why I'm bringing it up is because my last church had tension between the older generation, which are typically called the baby boomers, and the younger generation called the millennials. And I was kind of right in the middle of my 40s, Generation X. And, and a lot of the times, the tensions were because it seemed they were not just speaking past one another, but they were speaking different languages. And I felt like I was in the middle, and I had to almost interpret from one generation to the next. Both of them hold to the Word of God, the inerrant, inspired Word of God, and yet their perception of the way that played out in their actions and in some of the philosophies they carried were quite different. And what I felt like I had to do, I had to go to one generation and explain to them what they are saying and then go to the next generation and explain to them what they are saying. And the reality is, is that whether they knew it or not, they're pretty much on the same page. They just didn't understand one another. And I just say, look, we have unity around the truth of God's word. You say things, you nuance things, but I want you to see the truth. You're both saying the same things in different ways. And you need to see that. And what's interesting, we have a passage where that exact thing happens where there is some massive mishits and miscommunications and people, two groups that are divided and just speaking against one another and going in different directions. But the reality is they were on the same page 
But it just took a while for both of them to understand that. So let's go ahead and look at Joshua 22. Joshua 22, I'm sure some of you may have never, ever heard of this passage before or read it, and you definitely haven't heard a sermon on it before. But around Joshua 22, we're wrapping up the war. Remember, all of Israel fought in unison. All the 12 tribes were all in to conquer the land together. Now, two and a half of the tribes, two and a half of the tribes, named the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, go back to the east side of the Jordan. You may remember they were, they were promised the land that they could have on the east side of the Jordan, not inside the promised land. They had a lot of livestock and the, and the ground was very fertile there. And Moses granted them to have that land across the Jordan outside of the promised land while the rest of the tribes stayed in the promised land. So Joshua is sending them off a little farewell and he gives them one key exhortation as he sends them off. Look at Joshua 22. Starting in verse 5, look what he says. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God and walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and hold fast to him and serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. It's like a loving father sending his kids off to college and saying, Love the Lord, follow him, stay in the word. Uh, over the last two years, I've sent two of my children off to college. I dropped my son off a couple years ago, University of Colorado in Boulder. And then last year, I dropped off my daughter at Trinity in college. I helped them move in. I prayed for them. And I got out of there quickly before I had an emotional breakdown. Because you're like handing them off, right? And maybe you've handed off your kids to marriage and to life, and they're on their own. You, you, you've raised them, uh, you pray for them, you say, follow the Lord, and, and then you just leave them in the hands of God. Well, let's see how these two and a half tribes do being blessed and sent off by Joshua. Look at verse 10. When they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a large altar in appearance. Hmm. Alarm bells should be going off in your head. As if it looks like these two tribes, two and a half, have immediately gone off the rails. They built a huge altar, which is a major no-no. Let me fill you in some backstory from Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12 Verses 13 and 14 says, Be careful that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every cultic place you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. There was to be one central place of worship within the nation of Israel. And currently, at this time, it is in a place called Shiloh because that is a location of the tabernacle and the presence of God among his people. And the part of the purpose of this command to have one central location is so that the Israelites would not be influenced by the pagans that surrounded them and specifically in the worship of idols. 
It was a protection from syncretism. Syncretism is a blending of the true God with false gods and idols. And if you have a variety of places of worship, then they could be influenced to go off the rails. That's why there is to be one place of worship among the people of God at this time. And by them building an altar, alarm bells should go off. What are they doing? Well, the rest of Israel freaks out. Look at verse 11. And the sons of Israel heard it, said, Behold, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the side belonging to the sons of Israel. When the sons of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel gathered themselves at Shiloh to go up against them in war. What? What? They just spent seven long years in war. They sent their brothers back in peace, and now they're ready to go to war again, but this time against their brothers. It seems like an overreaction. Does it seem like that? Like, oh, you guys are just overreacting. No, no, it is a proper reaction to apostasy. It is a proper reaction when someone appears to be going off the rails. It's like you, uh, a son going off to college and he, he gets involved with a, a semi-cult group on campus. It would make me freak out. I would drive to campus right away to confront him, confront those around him. I'd bring family members with us. I'd, I'd call the police. I would, I would get dramatic. There would be no overreaction. This is not an overreaction. But before they're ready to strike, they pause a bit. Look at verse 13. Then the sons of Israel sent to the sons of Reuben and to the sons of Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh into the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest. And with him ten chiefs, one chief for each father's household from each of the tribes of Israel. And each one of them was the head of the father's household among the thousands of Israel. Rather than immediately strike out in war, the Israelites pull back and pause. They need to gather more information. These are their brothers. They have spent years side by side with them fighting. And at this moment, they want to think the best of them. They want to assume the best in them before they go out to war. If you don't remember anything else I say, remember this. Hit pause. Some of us can jump to conclusions too quickly. Sometimes, even within our congregation, when we hear something from someone else, we don't assume the best of that person, but we're ready to pounce on them and correct them and rebuke them and bring them up for church discipline immediately. Or maybe, for those of you who get on Facebook and you see something you don't like, Rather than prayerfully considering what you should respond back, what do you do? Blast. Maybe you need to hit pause. Calm down. Pray about it. And see how you should respond before you make that phone call, send that email. Hit pause. And so they hit pause. And they do a little investigation. Look at their investigation. 
They go there and they speak to him and they get right to the point. Verse 16. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is it this unfaithful act which you have committed against the God of Israel? Turn away from following the Lord this day by building yourselves an altar to rebel against the Lord this day. Is not the iniquity of pure enough for us from which we have not cleansed ourselves to this day, although a plague came on the congregation of the Lord, that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. If you rebel against the Lord today, he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel tomorrow. The leaders are afraid. They're like, if you rebel against the Lord, not only are you going to pay for it, but we're also going to pay for it. And they say the same thing if you want to look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. Did not Achan the son of Zerah act unfaithfully in the things under the ban and wrath fall on the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity? Back in chapter 7, we see how the sin of Achan resulted in the defeat of Israel, proving that no one sins in isolation. They are taking this matter very seriously because if their brothers have apostatized and falling away from the Lord, not only will they pay for their sins, but the rest of Israel will be punished by God. So at this moment, they're investigating. They're gathering more information. They're pausing and they're saying, come on, if you go down this road, we're all going to be destroyed. But now they put their money where their mouth is. Look at verse 19. Verse 19. If, however, the land of your possession is unclean, then cross into the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, or rebel against us by building an altar for yourselves besides the altar of the Lord our God. They love their brothers. They have zeal for them so much and for the Lord so much that they are willing to say, hey, come move into the promised land. Separate yourselves from the pagans if you're having issues. They love their brothers so much that they're willing to accommodate them in the promised land. That is just how serious they take this matter. They're bending over backwards. And I'm wondering... If you see one of your children or grandchildren and it appears on the surface they're straying or someone in the church, how willing are you to bend over backwards and accommodate and figure out ways to help them walk with the Lord? The past 20 plus years I've spent in Los Angeles and Chicago, I've mainly worked with a different generation who has different thoughts and different understandings and doesn't understand things uh, or a bigger perspective, for example. Too many times I've seen men and women living together before they get married. And I'll call them out and they will say, Pastor, we are staying pure, but we're doing this for financial reasons. And in their mind, their generation, it's okay to do. We can live together as long as we're pure. We sleep in two separate bedrooms. Everything's okay, Pastor. And I'll say to them, no, it's not. It's not okay. It's a hint of sexual immorality and it puts you in a place of temptation. Separate. But then you got to put your money with your mouth is and say, okay, one of you can come move in with me. Are you, are you ready to do that? 
My wife and I have done that. People from our last church did that. In fact, we did that a lot. Different people would say, okay, come, come live in with us. We'll accommodate. We want you to walk with the Lord. I know you think this is okay. It's not. Come accommodate. And these tribes are saying, come live with us. If you've got issues over there, come on. Come on in. We're going to put our money where their mouth is. Come on. Come on in. So they hit pause. They investigate. And they accommodate. But here is the part of the passage that you did not expect. If you've not read this in a long time, you do not expect it. If you've never read this, you're not going to expect what happens next. Let's see. Verse 21. Then the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and spoke to the heads of the families of Israel. The mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows and may Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or if in an unfaithful act against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built us an altar to turn away from following the Lord or if to offer a burnt offering or grain offering on it, or if to offer sacrifices, a peace offerings on it, may, them, may the Lord himself require it. I bet you didn't see that coming, right? They're basically saying, if we've transgressed the law, then kill us. If we've done something wrong, God should strike us down right now because we totally agree with you. If we did something like you're saying that we did, you should go ahead, kill us right now. <laughs> bet you didn't see that coming. Verse 24, well, then what's the deal? What are they doing? But truly, we have done this out of concern for a reason, saying, in time to come, your sons may say to our sons, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us and you. You sons of Reuben and sons of Gad, you have no portion in the Lord. So your sons may make our sons stop fearing the Lord. Well, that's interesting. So the Western tribes fear they built an altar indicating they have strayed. And they said, no, we built the altar so that we would not stray. We built the altar out of a concern for the next generation. We built the altar so that your kids don't tell our kids that we have no place in Israel. That's why we built the altar. And let us be more specific on what we think of that altar. Verse 26. Therefore, we said, let us build an altar. And this is the key not for burnt offerings or for sacrifice. Here's the reason. Rather, it shall be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we are to perform the service of the Lord before Him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, so that your sons will not say to our sons in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. Therefore, we said, it shall also come about, if they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, then we shall say, see the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offering or for sacrifice. Rather, it is a witness between us and you. Do you get it? 
they didn't build the altar for sacrifices or burnt offerings. They built the altar as a memorial, something that they could point to in the future. So if the Western tribes ever say to them, you have no point and no part of us, the Eastern tribes could say, look at the altar. We have history together. It is memorial that we are one nation under God. That's what's going on here. It's not for sacrifices. It's not for worship. It's a memorial. And when the Western tribes, those in the promised land, heard that, they were satisfied. Look at verse 33. The word pleased the sons of Israel. And the sons of Israel blessed God. And they did not speak of going up against them in war to destroy the land in which the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad were living. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad called the altar witness for, they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. One nation under God. One unified nation. And this is exactly where we want to be as a people of God in Christ, regardless of the generation. The same blood that saves you is the same blood that saves those in their 20s. The same Word of God that is sufficient for you is sufficient for the next generation. And the gospel does not change. There's only one way to heaven. Only one way, not many, but one way. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. There's not many ways to heaven, just one. He lived a perfect life for sinners like us, for sinners that are 80 and for sinners that are 18. He died on the cross, bearing the wrath of God for sinners that are 70 and for sinners that are seven. And he bore their wrath, was buried and rose again. And the good news that we proclaim to everybody, regardless of age, regardless of where they're at nationally or anything, we tell them about Jesus and it's through faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And that goes out to everyone in here. The gospel doesn't change. The word doesn't change. And if that's true, then we pursue unity through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if it looks like the younger generation in the church is going crazy, freaking out, going off the rails, music's too loud, clothes look bad, tattoos are nasty, maybe something else is going on. Maybe something else is going on. And if you have some interactions with those in our church, those in your family, won't you just take some time to hit pause? Investigate to figure out what's really going on. Accommodate if necessary. But ultimately, around the Word of God, try to unify. Make it your goal to unify. And I'm going to do something a little risky here. I'm going to attempt to help you unify with a variety of people you may interact with. Uh, like I said, I spent the last 20 plus years speaking to mainly college students and try to get them the perspective from the Word of God that may be as clear as day to you, but not as clear today to them. So I want to just kind of throw a few things out there in closing, two things exactly, about ways that in your mind you may think that you're 
grandchildren who believe in Jesus are drifting because maybe they don't say things the way you say them. So I'm going to talk about two issues, and I'm going to try to unify believers from different generations, okay? So I'm going to fix it all right now, all right? <laughs> and there's a lot of issues we could talk about, but I'm going to hit two, and I'm talking about believers. These are in-house discussions. I'm not talking about kids who don't follow Jesus, Grandkids who don't follow Jesus, I'm talking about those who follow Jesus and hold to the inerrant word of God. So I'm going to talk about two issues, all right? And I'm going to show you, if we're not careful, we can be talking past one another in the generational divide where it doesn't have to be. So let's take the first issue, pro-life issues. Pro-life issues. Typically, from what I've heard, older believers do not feel that younger believers care enough about eradicating abortion. But depending on what poll you look at, I mean, depending on what you look at, it's been said that the younger generation is actually more pro-life than the older generation. Don't throw anything at me. I'm just reporting their facts. In fact, of all my years among young adult believers and college believers, I have never met anyone who's a believer say anything other than, being pro-life. I've never had anybody say, you know, I think abortion is, is great. We should. I've never had a young person tell me that who believes in Jesus, never. And the question is, why don't you hear the younger generation, the younger believers, as vocal as the older generation? You ever wonder that? Well, why aren't they as vocal as we are? Why? Well, I'm going to try to tell you, this doesn't hold true for every person, but this is what I think is going on. Because the younger generation wants to emphasize being pro-life in all of life. And by that, this is what they mean. They, in their minds, think pro-life means not just caring for the unborn, but in their minds, it means caring and advocating for the poor. Caring and advocating for orphans. Caring and advocating for refugees. Caring and advocating for prisoners and caring and advocating for the unborn as well. Because one generation thinks pro-life is exclusively about the unborn, when another generation thinks pro-life is everything from the womb to the grave. And I think all of you in here can be on board with that. To see that maybe you think you're talking past one another, but as you sit down, talk to them, hit pause, investigate, find out more information, you may see that you're believing on fire, Jesus freak, grandchild, believes exactly the way you do. They may just express things a little differently. So that's one issue. And the second issue is on sexual ethics. Sexual ethics. At times, older believers feel that the younger believers are trying to blend in too much with the culture over homosexuality. And they don't take a strong enough stand. And I, I've interacted with young people for a long time and over the issue of homosexuality. And you may say they don't take a strong enough stand, but I've seen them engage it in different ways. They believe in the Word of God, just like you, the ones I've dealt with, that homosexuality is absolutely sin. And they want to be confronting and loving and holding to the truth. And you may wonder, why are they not as vocal about it? And I'm going to tell you, what I've seen come out of their mouths. They say things like this. 
We want the older generation to be against homosexuality. But we want the older generation to have sexual ethics to include divorce, sexual abuse in the church, sexual abuse in home. And so they want to talk about sexual ethics just as much as you may want to talk about sexual ethics, but they're saying, hey, let's talk about the big picture of all sexual ethics, not just one thing. And you would say, I agree with that. You agree with that, right? Yeah, let's talk about the big picture. And that's what I was trying to do in my last church. It's like, come on, you guys can communicate with one another because you're both young and old. You hold to the inerrant word of God. And I want to encourage you as you interact with younger believers, don't write them off too quickly. And I've been encouraging them for years not to write you off too quickly either. Because there are a lot of issues. I just named two. Have a discussion with them about justice issues. Have a discussion with them about race relations. Have a discussion with them about financial issues. And you may feel like you're going to talk right against one another and pass one another, but that's not the case. Be patient. Hit pause. Investigate. Listen. Accommodate if necessary. But always seek to unify. Because the same blood that saves you is the same blood that saves them. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.